Well, good morning. My name is Rick. I'm the campus pastor here, and we're so thankful to have you with us here at Portico this morning. And as, as we're rolling into our last, our Christmas Sunday, isn't this a great way to start off our Christmas Sunday message with the picture of Donald Trump? What, will this make it any better for you if we do this to the, will this make it better? Now it, now it's a Christmas Sunday. If you don't know who this is, this is a horribly controversial man who leads in the polls to become the next Republican candidate for in the U.S. elections that are coming up next November. And if you haven't been keeping up to date with what he's been saying and what he's been campaigning with, I'll give you some of the detail on, on what some of his platforms are. So Mr. Trump is against global warming. He said this, the concept of global warming was created by and for the Chinese in order to make U.S. manufacturing non-competitive. That's his belief in what, in what global warming is. He is completely against any form of immigration. He says, I will build a great wall, and nobody builds walls better than me, believe me, and I'll build them very inexpensively. I will build a great, great wall on our southern border, and I will make Mexico pay for that wall. Mark my words. <laughs> That's what he said about immigration. And what he said about Muslims. He said, they're not coming to this country if I'm president. What he said against, this is what he said against vaccinations. He said, I, I know a beautiful child wants to have a vaccine. A week later, he got, tremendous, he got a tremendous fever, got very sick, very, very sick. And whether you support these ideas or not, I think we can at least agree that Mr. Trump has not really been delicate in the way he's been expressing some of his ideas. And he's created such polarized feelings. There's this mass hate for this man. But we need to know he's leading in the polls. There's this, there's this appreciation and devotion to this man at the same time. And as we get into our last message on the stars of Christmas, we land on the person of interest. We've had the good wife, we've had the voice, and now we're here our, on our last star, uh, person of interest, and a man who has created more controversy and greater controversy than anyone in all of history ever, and that is, of course... Jesus Christ. And there are very few people who hear about him and remain neutral in their thoughts about who he is. In the name of Jesus, there have been civil wars. There have been international wars. People have gotten married and marriages have ended in the name of Jesus. There are billions of dollars raised and spent every year all for the sake and in the name of Jesus. And every week, Sunday morning sleep-ins are cut short, all in Jesus' name, right? Some of you would still be in bed if it wasn't for the name of Jesus this morning. This is a man that before he was ever born, he created controversy. In chapter 1, what happens? Where are some of our kids? Aaron, you must know this. In Genesis, oh, I'm on the spot this morning. Look at this. His eyes get big. Uh-oh, I just got called out. What happens in Genesis chapter 1? The very first book of the Bible. God created, yeah, give it up for Aaron. He knew that. Who else can I pick on this morning? Who might know? Amani would know. What happens in Genesis chapter 2? You know what happens in Genesis chapter 2 after God creates all the heavens and the earth? Our kids are all terrified right now. Don't ask me questions. In Genesis chapter 2, God creates human beings and then human beings sin. Uh-oh. So we are separate from God. And ever since that day, we have been on a journey to reconnect with God just like we were in Genesis 
chapter 1. And through the whole Old Testament, all throughout the Bible, there are 44 different specific prophecies written about God and His Son and His Spirit coming to earth to make things right. And the prophecies depict Him as a gentle, caring, and lowly person, also a conquering king. And there was so much disagreement all throughout the Jewish community, all throughout the Old Testament history, who are they looking for when this God eventually comes back? And there was so much discrepancy that when he did come back, some were unsure, and in fact, some to this day, 2,000 years later, are still unsure that Jesus was who he said he was, and they're still waiting for God to send his son 6,000 years post Adam and Eve and Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to go to a Christmas text this morning, maybe a lesser known Christmas text, And we're going to see two servants who were waiting for God and waiting for him to come down to earth. And if you want to follow along, we just want to remind you, we're we're not on um, YouVersion anymore. We're now on the Portico app, so you can go on and you can download the app and you can follow along there. But we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 38. So you can turn there with me this morning. I don't think our Bibles are in the room. There were too many of you eating pancakes, so our Bibles got bumped out of the room. So you'll just have to... Let, you're around the table with somebody. Somebody must have a Bible. I know who has a Bible. If you have a kid at your table, in those little handouts, there's scriptures there. So kids, turn to the handouts. There are Bibles in the room, Bob says. So if you don't want to um, make a kid feel uncomfortable by staring over their shoulder, just quickly slip up your hand and Bob will make sure that you get a copy of the Bible to share this morning. If anybody needs, if anybody needs uh, to borrow the Bible, just slip your hand up. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 38. Kids, you can turn there on your first page. Adults, I'll trust you find it the way you want to. Here we go. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been re- revealed to him, this is Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. And when the parents, that's Mary and Joseph, brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in sight for all the nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory of your people Israel. The father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of uh, Penuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after the marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So all of their lives, these two, had been expecting that they would get to see God. They would get to see the Son of God coming to earth. They probably dreamed about what it would look like and, and, and how God would come and, and who he would be. They probably built it up so huge in their minds. Kids in the room, think about this. Think about how excited you're going to be Thursday night. You're excited that it's Christmas Eve and Santa's coming and you're going to have celebration. You're going to have, Kids, are you with me? Are you excited about this? 
Can you get at least excited enough to pick up your heads and acknowledge that I'm speaking to you? <laughs> your kids are going to be so pumped up on Thursday night. They're going to be shaking that they're full of sugar and full of excitement. They're pumped up. And Santa's pretty awesome. I'll give you that. But we're talking about God. And these, these two would have been so excited about it. And then they encounter, think of who they meet. They've been planning and they're getting ready to meet God. And then they meet a teenage couple who are ridden in scandal and they have a baby. (laughs) This is the God that they meet. In fact, this is the God that we all encounter and we react. So we're going to spend 15 minutes, 20 minutes this morning together in looking at how we react when we meet this teenage couple with a baby who claim to have God's son with them. Now, if you are visiting with us, we need to let you know how Pancake Sunday works. It's not just a presentation from the front. It's actually an engaged discussion. So we'll, we'll read a little bit out of the Bible, and then we'll allow you to speak around tables and have discussion about what your reactions are and what your thoughts are. And you don't have to have any Bible knowledge to be a part of these conversations. We don't ask you what's going on in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. I only do that to kids like Aaron and Amani when I call them out of the room. This is just your thoughts, your experiences, and we'll give you three or four minutes to share around the tables, and then we'll come back and see what the Bible says about it. So you can follow along in your notes in the sermon, uh, in the bulletin. Kids, you have all the notes right in your, in your packet, so there's some fun stuff in there, but all the notes are there for fill in the blanks, and you can follow along on your apps. But the first one is this. When we meet Jesus, when we encounter Mary and Joseph and this baby, a lot of people get irritated. That's the first reaction that we have. If you mention the name of Jesus, some people get very upset. In fact, if we were to go around our community, there are probably more people who are annoyed at Christianity than people who like, G- who like the thought of Christians and Jesus being involved in their community. And when we think about what, what would that be all about? M- because much of the good in our society was started by and is continued to be done by Christians. The YMCA, the YWCA, these are organizations that house people and clothe people and care for people. That's a Christian association. The Salvation Army, which runs the whole food bank here in town, it's a, it's a Christian organization. We have distinctly Christian groups that are caring for people all over the world. Every week in this church alone, the, the folks who are at the seniors building right next door to us, they receive free groceries just because of the hard work of people from Portico. This... The, this past week, and uh, Gabe's going to throw up a picture, we were able to host a Christmas tea for them. And we had, we had about 50 of the seniors come down, and we were giving them Tim Hortons coffee and baked goods, and they were able to get groceries and just have a fun time. There were, there were ladies that stood up and, with tears in their eyes, thanked you as a church. On, we were there on your behalf, so we got to like, own some of that, and we felt good about it. But it was really, it's the church. And they thanked the church. They said, thank you so much for caring about us because we get free groceries, but you also care about us and you help us and there's community there for us. Tears in their eyes because of what a Christian organization and what a church is doing. As Amanda had mentioned, this this past Wednesday over at the Mississauga campus, we had a whole bunch of people together sorting the donations that came through One Hope. We had a goal of 3,500 pounds of food. If you have a a Portico app, you would have got a push notification this week. We had... 5,500 pounds of food. Yeah, we can celebrate that. 5,500 pounds of food that was donated 
for the hungry in Mississauga. And, and there's, all, there's tons of families that will, that will use that food. In fact, I was speaking to the manager of an apartment building, and they said, we were in sorting food at the food bank on Friday. And I said, oh, that was our donation. And, and, and uh, she, she said, oh, I can't believe how much food there was. It took us all day to, to sort it and pack it there. They, they were blown away by the donation that Portico brought together. We're going to be able to, there will be families in the month of December who will now be able to pick up a box of diapers at the MCRC as opposed to what they normally get when they normally get two or three diapers. And parents with little kids, how long do two or three diapers last? <laughs> An hour, yeah. <laughs> the MCRC does what they can but over the month of December, when we're able to do the diaper drive for them, they say it's so amazing because we'll be able to send families home with what they need for the week, not what they need for the day. And even in this past week, our church, we've been able to sponsor a refugee couple that have come from Afghanistan. And this, it's been an unbelievable week. Their Air Canada lost their bet. And if you work for Air Canada, God bless you. Uh, I would love to have a little chat with you afterwards. You can, you can help us out. They've, they've lost, they've, no, Air Canada people have actually been supporting us, so thank you for that. But they, they've been, they, they've come without luggage, they've come without home, they've come without family, but Portico has given them, ha- they, they've given them a home, they've given them food, they've taken them out for meals, they've replaced their clothing, replaced computers, replaced all kinds of things. People's lives are being touched and changed. All people who serve in the name of Jesus. Now, it's not what we do as a church that irritates people. It's who we do it for. And Luke 2 and 34, let's go back to our key text. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child, check out the first words that the priest says to Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that it will be spoken against. The entire plan of the Father sending his Son to earth came with full understanding that Jesus would make people upset. If we go to a more central character in the Christmas story, we know it's, it, his name is King Herod, and we read about him in, in Christmas story all the time. He's the one that met with the wise men, and he heard about the stars that were predicting the story of this coming king. Look at Herod's reaction right away in Matthew 2 and 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem was disturbed with him. And you could be sitting in church this morning, re-encountering the story of Jesus, and there's a little bit of irritation, there's a little bit of frustration, there's a little bit of angst that wells up inside you. And if not you, at the very least, you probably have a close friend or family member who wouldn't be favorable to this message of Jesus. So we're going to go to our first discussion question, and Gabe's going to put it up on the screen for us. Is this, what parts of the story of Jesus and his birth create skepticism for people when it's presented to them. What, what parts of, of this whole thing that we're talking about, what is it that begins to create this feeling of, I'm not, I love what you do as a church, but I don't love who you do it for? What creates that sense of skepticism? Go ahead and share around your tables personal experience from what you've heard or what you feel. What, what brings that level of skepticism into the Christmas story and the feelings around that? Go ahead. Lots of good, lots of good discussion going on, but I think... What we know is this, that there will be those, anytime we mention the name Jesus, there's this unsettling reaction for a lot. We can, we can pray for people, we can do good things for people, but when we introduce the name of Jesus, there's this feeling for some people, they get irritated right with us. And we know that in the room this morning, there will be some that will be feeling that 
as they encounter the story of Christmas. Now, that's not the only feeling. That's not the only reaction that we have. The second one is this. We know that some would not be irritated. They'd be intrigued. Nobody gets upset over anything that they actually don't care about. And if people are still intrigued about a man that died over 2,000 years ago as a heretic, it's safe to say that his life creates intrigue. Do you know how many people have been claimed to be heretics and their life has come and gone and nobody remembers? Does anybody remember who said the world was going to end in 2012? Who was that? Is a Mexican? <laughs> He's going with Trump. He's going... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have trouble remembering the names of all kinds of people who, who stirred up trouble. But something about Jesus, even if he irritates you, keeps people coming back and saying, you know, but I'm, I'm intrigued. I don't forget that name. If we look back at our text, we see that Anna, who was the prophet, she went out and immediately she engages a crowd of people in this story about how this baby was actually God's son. We see it in Luke 2 and 38. Coming up to them at the very moment, this is Anna came up to Mary and Joseph. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child, look at this, to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She comes out and there were people ready to receive Jesus as a baby and as God's son. And there are very few of my friends who are outside of the church who have, uh, who have interest in talking necessarily about coming to church with me or what our church does. But if I tell them about Jesus, they'll have an opinion, whether it's an upset, irritated opinion, whether it's, well, here's what I believe about Jesus. Here's what I think about him. In fact, my dad and I, the only discussion we ever, my dad's, my dad's not a, a, a believer in Christ and the only discussion that we ever have about religion centers on his disbelief that God would come like that, in a baby form like Jesus. He's more than happy to talk about it, not necessarily believing in it, but is intrigued by it. And for some reason, if there's no irritation, it at the very least creates a genuine interest and intrigue in who this baby was. We know that our churches will be more full than any other season of the time of all the calendar year on Christmas, there will be more full. We ran out of seats for pancakes on Sunday. Now, and as great as those pancakes are, we know that it's not just the pancakes that bring people to church. On, on Thursday, we're going to have four packed out Christmas Eve services. We're going to have 3,500 to 4,000 people coming to church on Christmas Eve, many of them irritated or just intrigued, not actually believing that Jesus was God's son. And those wise men who stopped to see Herod, they obviously had intrigue about it. Now, we need to know this about the wise men in the, Christian, in the Christmas story. They weren't necessarily followers of Jehovah, followers of God. They were uh, followers of God. We're going to have Joe Amaral here next week, and he's going to talk about how there was an unbelievable um, event in the stars and in the heavens 2,048 years ago that would have had this amazing reaction and how this star would have been shown and it, anybody who, who was an astrologer would have known that a king has been born, the stars are predicting it, and it, it would have tipped them off that something, event, something very impactful, historical was happening in the world. You won't want to miss next Sunday morning, and it's going to be a great opportunity on January the 17th to, in, to invite a neighbor out to, uh, to hear more of the story and that's, that's given from a perspective of someone who's not a believer. But look what we read in Matthew 2, 1 and 2. 
After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, so these were wise men, astrologers from the east, they came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So again, if you've never understood really what that means, you've got to be here next Sunday morning. But Christmas is the easiest time for any of us to engage our friends, to connect our family to others in a discussion about Christ. So for a few moments, our second discussion question this morning is this. Have you considered what is one part of the story of Jesus that you feel has the ability to create interest for others to get to know more about him? Have you, have you ever considered what is one part of the story that you could actually engage somebody who not necessarily would follow Christ, but would have intrigue in that story. Go ahead and share around the table maybe something that you've found to be true or something that you've always thought about might be an opportunity to engage another person. I think my favorite one, as I was eavesdropping on some of the discussions, is Heather's going to engage people in discussion about frankincense and tell them all. <laughs> she, gets, she can tell you where she gets frankincense. I can create my own myrrh. No, just kidding. <laughs> but... Before, can I encourage you, before this Christmas season is over, before your holidays are done, before services have gone by, can you not let another one go by without intentionally engaging in a discussion with a friend, with a neighbor, or somebody, asking them to participate in a Christmas celebration with you and bringing them into the story of Jesus? We, we've all just shared, you've just sat around the table and you've heard or you've shared that there's opportunity to engage people in a, in a discussion about Jesus. We know what our mission is here at Portico. It's actually the mission of the whole church worldwide. It's helping people find their way back to God. If this is the season when people are most open to it, we can't let another one go by saying, you know, they're just not interested in what we have to say. Can we find an opportunity that we would build intrigue in the, in the lives of our friends and family and invite them into this same journey, whether it's helping to deliver the diapers with part of our One Hope or, or just to give to our One Hope outreach, whether it's the candlelight Christmas Eve services, whatever it is. We as a church, we specifically design opportunities so that we can engage others and capitalize on this intrigue. And we pray that this morning you hear something or the conversation has sparked something within you to say, I know how I can engage my friends and neighbors in that as well. Well, the last reaction we want to look at before we close this morning is that we know that the name of Jesus creates a reaction in people that they went and investigated, and they went to find out who Jesus was. I don't know about most of you, but the past few weeks have been my most busiest weeks of the year. We love Christmas, and we grow to hate the Christmas schedule, right? There's choir practices, there's kids' Christmas concerts, there's Christmas shopping to be done, there's parties that we host, parties that we attend. We don't even want to pretend to go near a mall or near Walmart. If you're getting off a of Trafalgar to go to the outlets, you know the 401 is backed up constantly for some reason. We already have overfilled schedules and overfilled lives, and then we add Christmas onto them, and something has to give. For a lot of us, our health gives out. For some of us, our bank accounts give out. For many of us, our sanity gives out. But I'm not going to ask you to raise a hand on that one. But the, the very first Christmas, the message of Jesus were, was presented to a group of men, the shepherds, and they had their own job to do. They had their own things to do. These were people that cared for the sheep probably 
people that cared for the sheep that would have been used in the animal sacrifices when they would get together and worship in Bethlehem. Now, number one, that's a very important role because that's the way that the Jewish people connected with God. They would sacrifice an animal. So they were caring for animals that would have been prepared for worship. And number two, have you ever tried to corral the sheep? Anyone? (laughs) It's not easy. You laugh, but think of the reaction you have when somebody asks you to dog sit for the week. Anybody ask me to dog sit for, can you watch my dog for the weekend? Yeah, you're like, I'm not watching your dog for the weekend. You know what I, now, now, times that dog by a hundred, because now you've got a hundred of them, and make that dog stupider by about a hundred times because it's a sheep. That's the job of the shepherds. They were caring for a hundred dumb dogs, and nobody thinks that that's an easy job. And as critical as their job was, it was be prepared for worship, as difficult as their job was, look at the reaction of these shepherds the moment they hear the name of Jesus, Luke 2 and 15. When the angels had left them and had gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem, let's bring our dumb sheep (laughs) and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. The shepherds stopped what they were doing immediately and went to investigate who Jesus was. Now we know, you and I, have things we need to get done over the Christmas season. And it makes no logical sense to add anything else to your calendar, anything else to your life, unless Jesus is exactly who he said he was. If Jesus was God's son, come to earth so that no more sheep had to die, so that sin would be reconciled in our lives, it wouldn't disqualify us from going to heaven anymore. If this is all true, then it does make sense to add into our lives. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we clutter up life. This is why we clutter up our living rooms with trees and why we lavishly spend dollars that we don't have to give gifts to others. We remind ourselves at this time, we're going to interrupt life with all of this and focus on him. So our final discussion question that we want everybody to reflect on this morning is what is one way that you can plan to purposefully include Jesus in your Christmas celebrations this year. So I want us to think, what can you do individually? What, what can you adjust to say, no, this is how I'm going to include Jesus in a different way in my Christmas celebration? What can you do on your Christmas morning or Christmas Eve routine? Maybe your grandparent in the room, what can you do to help your grandkids begin to engage in the story of Jesus more, investigate Christ? What can you do for your family? What can you do for your friends? Can you spend a few moments just sharing with each other either something that you've planned to do or something that might be a neat idea? What can we do to purposefully include Jesus in our Christmas celebrations in a greater way this year? Go ahead. So Jesus is the central figure of Christmas. He's the person of interest. And we want to arrange our life so that we remember that. And I hope that something in the conversation this morning has either sparked you personally or sparked you for your family to say, I want to go further than irritation. I want to go further than intrigue. I want to do something to intentionally investigate and be like the shepherds and drop the regularities of life and say, I'm going to go and actively participate in the celebration of Jesus. He's the person of interest. But the most ironic thing is this, is that for him, you and I are actually the person of interest. Christmas was the time when God in heaven interrupted his daily life and came down to earth to be with us. He had spent eternity up in heaven 
never down here. But he interrupted everything. He was fine doing things the way he was, but he said, those people are so important to me that I'm going to come down and invite them into true relationship. We became his people of interest. Look what we read in that original text, Luke 2, 30 to 32. This is what Simeon said, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. He's saying, My eyes have seen God's Spirit come down. And we're going to close in prayer this morning, but on a Christmas Sunday, I would be so, uh, it, it'd, be, it'd be so odd for me to not give you the opportunity this morning just to pray with us. And we're, we're going to pray together in the room. And the gift of Christ is this, the message of Christmas is this, that for anyone who would believe that the baby that came was God's son, they have the right to be called God's kids. And there isn't any standard of living you have to achieve. There isn't any background you have to achieve. There isn't any number of church services over the course of the year you have to attend. It's just that you would believe and say, I needed that gift because I'm not perfect and I need Christ in my life. And if you would pray that with us this morning, you would receive that gift, then your eternity, your forever is secured with him because of the gift that you received at Christmas. Would we all bow our heads? I'm going to ask if we bow our heads. Close our eyes. And this morning, I'm going to pray for us. But if you've not prayed this, or you've kind of backed away for a while, you've had some of those feelings of irritation. This morning, if you pray along in your heart, in your mind, you can receive that gift all over again this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a morning we can just be together worship you, sing a couple of carols, meet some people around a table. But more importantly, thank you for a morning that we are reminded that our lives are to be interrupted at Christmas by the presence of Jesus. And Lord, we admit this morning that uh, we need you. We have sin, we have stuff in our life that separates us from you because you're perfect and we're not. And thank you that you don't expect us to be perfect. You just expect us to be humble enough to say that we're not. And Father, for all of those in the room this morning that are opening up their hearts and opening up their minds, we just ask that you would, you would hear our prayer, you would know that we believe. And Father, over the next couple of weeks, as we do celebrate with friends and family in church, in home, in the community, would we sense your presence so close to us? Would we sense your love and sense your forgiveness? Jesus, thank you for interrupting your life all those years ago to coming down and making us the person of interest. We thank you so much, Lord, for everything that you've done, everything you're going to continue to do. And I pray that as we do go, Lord, that we would take these thoughts and discussions that we've had and we'd start to walk them out in our own, our own Christmas celebrations. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.